words from the, the King James, uh, those uh, thou's and these and thy's. Do you ever wonder why? I've wondered why sometimes. Part of the reason is because uh, it gives us an ability to connect through generations. So, you know, people that are newer to the church or people that are younger, when they read that, they actually feel a little uncomfortable using that language. But part of it is, part of it is so that we remember that the Christian faith isn't about me, right? The Christian faith is about also this, this long line of disciples that have been for 2,000 years now teaching the faith down the line. In fact, one of the great sacraments that we get to do with communion, one of the great points of this is it connects us like a chain letter all the way back to Jesus, like some elaborate game of, the, of telephone where Jesus told his disciples to do this and then they told the next disciples next until we together, when we do this, it's as if we are with Jesus that evening. If you've been with us we, the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been doing a series on stewardship as we revolve around God's word. And we're thinking about how we live as Christians in a generous way, how we use our lives in a generous way. And we start off by saying this, all that you have and all that you are is what? Is gift. Everything you have and everything you are is gift. God has given you everything. We often feel like, well, I earned that, or I bought that with my own hard-earned money, or, or I'm the one that gave birth to that child. That felt like a lot, of, a lot of my work put into that. Everything you have and everything you are is gift. And so the question then becomes, what's the purpose of this gift? How do I use this gift well? And then also, for what purpose does the church have your particular gift? So we've been unpacking that. If you haven't been with us, you can go online, look at our sermon series there. Wrestle with how you use the gift of everything you are and everything you have well. Today we're going to be looking specifically at a text, a part of scripture, from a, from a book called Malachi. This is one of the prophets, one of the leaders of God's people before Jesus came. And in this in this part, we're actually going to hear God himself speaking through this prophet, this leader, Malachi. So Malachi 3, we're going to read verses 6 all the way through verse 10. And this is what it says. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the words we find in Scripture will last forever. Now, why is God so interested in our pocketbooks? <laughs> why is God so interested in your purse and all that you have? What was the original purpose of tithing? Do you know? We find this way back in the history of God's people, back in even Deuteronomy, in the first books that describe the law that God was trying to give to his people. Back in Deuteronomy, we have a list of things that God was asking his people to do in order to be distinct from the rest of the world, to have the good life, so that when people saw the good life, they would know, oh, they have, they have the God on their side. They follow the good path. Part of the good path that God prescribed was this idea of a tithe. Do you know what the word tithe actually means, literally? It means tenth. It means tenth. So if, you, if you've been in the church, you know, uh, you, you probably have heard at some point the idea of giving a tenth of your income to the church or to, uh, to the ministry of the Lord. The reason why that tenth percentage comes in is because of the word tithe. It's, it's a, a word that God gave to his people way before uh, you and I have walked the earth. Now, do you know the purpose of that tithe? Back in Deuteronomy, you can go, later you can go read through chapter 14, then through the chapters 20. You'll see that God had given this, this uh, ask to tithe so that, so that the people that were carrying out the work in the church, the work in the temple, would be provided for. And that all the work that the church was doing would have money to back up what, what God was doing through Israel. So the tithe was given partly so that God could use our tithe to bless the people that were serving him, particularly through the ones that were called into ministry, and also so that the people, specifically he talked about the people that were in need, would be able to be blessed through the church. We see now in the New Testament so often Paul, one of the great leaders of the New Testament church, was calling us, was calling the church Jesus' body. Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet. Same way, when we give money now to the church itself in the form of a tithe, what we are doing is we are, we are letting the church be Jesus' hands and feet as we are able to help people in need. As we're able to support some of the, the, the people on staff of the church that are reaching out and discipling, that are going to people that are either lost because they do not understand who the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, or in need because of the hard stretch they're going through in their life. So, part of the reason why Jesus, part of the reason why God is so interested in our pocketbooks is because he desperately wants to help the people that are in need. God is so interested in each and every person that he would call us as a church to make sure that we are caring, that we are putting our, putting our resources together so that we would be providing for those in need. Secondly, uh, Jesus said something very provocative for me. I've always, I've always found this to be like a, a thorn that pokes me every time I see it, in a good way. He says this in Matthew 6. This is in the midst of his, his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he got, one day he decided it was time for him to, to share with everybody what he was all about. It was time for him to share what, what it looked like to live in his kingdom. And so he went up on the top of a mountain, just like, just like Moses, 
We went up to the top of a mountain, and he began to teach them. And through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have this, this exposition of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, what it means to follow God correctly. And in, in the midst of that, in Matthew 6, in the 21st verse, you see this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we naturally tend to think of this in reverse. We say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. We tend to think that what we're passionate about is going to be where we decide to use our money, where we decide to use our resources of time, of abilities. God would challenge that. God would challenge that and say, actually, you're going to develop a love for wherever you end up investing your resources. And particularly today, we're not shying away from the theme of actually your money. Where you're tithing, where you're giving from what you have. Jesus is pushing us to turn this idea around that we might have in our heads, that where you actually give your money or your resources, that will actually be that will be the seeds for what you develop as a love in your heart. It will end up defining what you worship, what you ultimately want, and what you ultimately desire. So it's not necessarily that I need to curate, I need to form what I like and what I want, and then my, my natural response will be letting resources enter there. It's actually, <laughs> Jesus would turn that around and say, no, where you put your resources. If you want to change your life, if you want to change what you like, if you want to change what's important to you, then start thinking about where you're putting your resources. What will naturally flow is then your own heart will be changed because of this. You know, many Christians today that do give to a tithe, so some of you I know in here are, are pretty faithful in giving, for instance, to the church or to, or to the rescue center or to uh, a ministry like Impacts, like Pastor Christie runs. Many of you are already giving of, of your money in this way. But you know what a lot of times happens, and we, we're, we fall victim to this too, is we become like calculator-driven money givers. We, we, uh, kit, we get our income and we, we multiply it by 0.1, and we figure, okay, there's my tenth, there's my tithe. But God, God's point here is not that we would develop a relationship with a calculator. God's point isn't that we would, we would learn better how to use my calculator and, and remember our, our math arithmetic that to get to 10% you have to multiply by 0.1. God's point isn't that we would have an exercise to help us do math better or to dust off our calculator or to find batteries for the calculator because the batteries died. That's not the point. The point is this. It is not easy. It is absolutely not easy to give your money to something else. To give your money to something else than your own personal gain, your own personal interests. It's not easy at all. In fact, it's even painful. <laughs> if you're not giving money right now, for instance, to the church or to a ministry, the idea of doing that is something that I think is also repulsive. Many people, when, when they, were, they would be challenged, are you giving money to the church? How are you using your money? Are you giving it to a, a ministry? They would say, how dare you question how I use my money? 
How dare you talk about my pocketbook? That's way too personal. <laughs> that is way too personal. Back up. It's hard for us to be willing to give up money because I think part of that represents security. Part of that represents we put hopes in how we're going to use our money for our personal happiness. We have dreams that are based on how we're going to use that money. You know, we talk about Christianity a lot, about it being like a relationship. And sometimes that's very abstract. I don't, I don't prefer to use that language, but this is an opportunity for us to see how you could talk about Christianity as a relationship and it be, to be very practical. If you, if you decide to do the painful work of setting aside your financial resources and taking, taking some of that financial resource and, and giving it to, for instance, the church, what will happen is that that painful experience will be putting the ball in God's court. You're, you, are, you are hitting the tennis ball over the net and saying, okay, Lord, you've asked me to do this. If you're there, Lord... <laughs> I'm hitting the ball over the court. Are you going to hit it back? You're entering into a relationship because God's promise is this. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me, Jesus is saying. Go ahead, hit that ball over the net. Go ahead, push up against me. There are so many times in our lives as, as not just Christians, but even people that wouldn't call themselves Christians that are trying to figure out who God is, if there is a God, all these deep questions of life. And we wish there was a way to just test it. We wish there was a way to test our faith even. As Christians, we say, I wish there was a way that I could have a, a deeper encounter with God. This is the way Jesus is pushing us to see. Test me in this. Be willing to give of your resources, financial resources, something so precious to us. Be willing to hand that over to the use of the Lord and test me in this. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and bring down, rain down blessings on you that you, that you would completely understand that the Lord is real. Hit the ball over the net and see if I don't serve it back to you. Enter into this relationship Jesus is testing us. When Jesus was uh, walking the earth, one of the beautiful moments in which this Malachi text comes to life was a particular scene I've, I've mentioned recently, but it's when, the, when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter and the disciples were in the boat. We're going to have an all-church retreat at the end of September, and we're going to revolve around this story. The retreat is called Just Believe. It ties into what we're talking about today. When Jesus had finished teaching one day, he sent his disciples out in a boat. I've seen a replica of the boat. They're not that big, but they're big enough where when you're, when you're sitting in it, you can't just 
fall out the side. They're, they're deep enough to hold the 12 disciples, and, and it won't capsize too easily. But they go out in this boat. It's maybe, it's maybe about the length of one of our pews. So there's a good reason to still have pews in the church. I can say, look, it's about the same size as a boat. <laughs> and he goes out. Uh, actually, he tells his disciples to go out, and Jesus stayed behind on the shore. And what happens is, in the middle of the night, Jesus came up. <laughs> in the middle of the night, Jesus, it says right before dawn, Jesus began to walk out on the water to his disciples. And when they saw him, they said, it's a ghost. Imagine, it's, it's dark, right? It's just before dawn. They look out this figure walking, this dim image walking on the water. And they say, it's a ghost. But Jesus says, don't fear, for it is I. And what does Peter say? If it's you, call me out onto the water. Ask me to walk to you. And what's Jesus' response? Come. He says, Peter, you got it perfectly right. Just like in Malachi, you are supposed to test me. This is about a relationship in which you can test my presence in your life. Come. Good job, Peter. Now is the time for you to test. Come on out. Put your leg over that side of that boat and step out onto the water. Give of yourself and see what happens. Yes, Peter, you got it right. Just like in Malachi, you need to test me. Push up against me. Knock on the door. See if I answer. Give money to the church. Now here's the next part of this. When I talk about blessing, when Scripture talks about blessing, this storehouse from heaven being opened up and flooding you with blessing, what do we mean? Do I mean that you're going to get a jet ski and an RV and a new jet? <laughs> no, I don't. In fact, what does Jesus tell Peter? Right before uh, Jesus ascends back to heaven, what does Jesus tell Peter about his future? Yeah, you're, it says, when you were young, you got to have fun, <laughs> basically. But now that you're growing, when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and someone else is going to dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go. It says that Jesus was telling Peter about the type of death that he would have to endure because of following him. And tradition has it that Peter was, like Jesus, crucified, upside down, so that he would not uh, be putting himself in the same position as Jesus. Fun study for you. <laughs> Go see what happens to basically all of those original disciples of Jesus. We believe, or tradition has it, it's hard to know, uh, we don't have... No one was walking around with, with uh, smartphones snapping Instagram photos. So we don't exactly know what was happening. But the tradition has it that pretty much all of them end up being martyred for their faith. So which is it? <laughs> is it storehouses uh, of heaven being opened and pouring down on your life? Or is it being crucified upside down? Which is it? <laughs> which is it, Jesus? You know, there is a 
a peace and a hope that I've come to know in my life that completely transcends any of this world. And I can tell you, I'm 100% positive that all of those disciples completely understood what was happening. Yeah, I wasn't going to do this. Everybody turn up to uh, open to Acts. Where's, where's the stoning of Stephen? Is that Acts like three, four? Let's find it real quick. Whoever finds it, shout it out. And give me a Bible, because I only have my computer. You got it? Acts 7. Okay, here we go. Uh, I, don't, I, don't have I got it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Pastor Christie knows everything about the Bible, so. I ask her when I don't know things. <laughs> All right, so what page is that number? 1063. Let's all read this, 1063. This is the type of blessing that you find. 1063, starting in verse uh, 54. Okay, so uh, Stephen, so if, just some quick, quick backup. Stephen was one of the people that the, that the leaders of the church voted on to become a deacon, one of the original deacons. There was a problem. Some of the new people that were coming into the church, it'd be like, we have a lot of brothers and sisters from, from Iran, our, our Persian brothers and sisters that have started coming to our church, right? And then we have some of our older members that have been here for 60 years. It'd be like, let's say that the pastor ended up spending all of their time with our new friends, and I ended up starting to neglect taking a communion to some of our members that had not been able to be in church for a long time. And so, and then someone said, well, wait a second, that's not right. We're starting to neglect a certain portion of our church. And so then what happened was they said, okay, we need some deacons that can help the pastor do all the work of the church. They, one of those people is Stephen. So you can tell he was someone that was really devoted to the Lord and that understood this idea that if I give of myself, if I give of myself, then the storehouses of heaven are going to be opened and they're going to rain down. And this is what happens to him. He's, he's basically he's preaching, and then they take him out, and this is what happens. When they heard Stephen preaching and saying that Jesus basically is Christ, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, or Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing there at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul, who would become Paul. And while they were stoning him, St Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I hope... I hope today that the Spirit can help you see the type of peace and hope that can come upon a person 
that come upon a person when they put their faith in Jesus, when they give themselves over to serving Jesus, a discipleship. I hope you can see this example of what, what happens to us when we have that type of relationship, the peace and the hope, the sense of purpose that transcends even if someone threatens our life on this planet. promise is a peace that transcends even our understanding. If you don't believe it, test the Lord. Jesus is inviting you. And the practical way that we see in scripture today is actually with your money. We don't talk about money around here. I haven't probably since I came. Sometimes the leaders are not too happy about that. <laughs> but today, you, it's right here in scripture. Test me in this. Offer your treasure, what you call treasure in your life, to the Lord. Test me in this and see if I don't throw open the storehouses in my dwelling in heaven. And see if that type of life that Stephen knew, that type that Peter knew, see if you don't start walking on water. Let's pray. Lord, our, our treasure is something personal, precious. I ask that you would give us the grace to hold it out. I ask that you would give us the grace to hold it out and to offer it to you, that tithe. Offer it to you. May you use our resources to bless your ministry, to affect the people that are lost and the least that are around us. And Lord, I, I pray that you will give us the courage to test you, even if we don't understand, even if we can't picture how, how such persecution could represent such joy in these people's lives or in our life. I pray that you would you give us the courage to test you to see what it is like to step out of the boat Lord fill us with that Holy Spirit that gives us the grace and the courage it's in your name that we pray God Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen